Well, if there's anything that we, we learn about who God is from the Christmas season, it's that God is a God on mission. Um, and every time we, you pass by a nativity scene, you see a snapshot of the mission of God. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to be born in human flesh, to live among us, to die on the cross on our behalf, to resurrect from the grave that whoever would believe in him would be saved and not perish. And so um, the very fact that we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating the character of God that reflects his mission here on earth. Uh, Jesus, when he handed the baton of the church to his disciples, told them to go make disciples of the nations. And so the very fact that we have a church here today means that we're on a mission. And so we say that often. We are a church on mission. It's why we did the Christmas store yesterday. I think 24, 25 families came through. We were able to express the love of Christ in a very tangible way, and along with that, share the gospel um, to these families. Um, it's why we'll go to Flint, Michigan, spring break uh, again this year. It's why we're planning on going to the Philippines. It's why uh, Daniel and Amanda Bray are here with us from China. It's why they are now in China, because the mission of Christ is our mission. And if you're in Christ, you're called to this mission. And so, um, so as you pray about what that means for you, um, oftentimes uh, we hear announcements like we just heard, and we think, wow, I think I would like to go. But, and then all of a sudden, we're, our mind is flooded with all the reasons why it won't work. Um, this is where we, in faith, when we know God is calling us, we say yes. And so, um, and so if that's you, um, I do encourage you to go back and just be honest with the mission team. Grab somebody with a gray shirt and say, I don't know why I'm even talking to you. I don't even know where the Philippines is. But something about what you said stirred my heart, and so I just want to hear more. Um, go do that. There are all kinds of ways that God has provided to get people on the mission financially. Um, there was a family here selling cheesecakes to pay uh, for a mission trip. We have one family of two that has paid for their entire way selling Christmas ornaments. So there are tons of ways um, that, that God can provide uh, for you to go. The point is that we realize God has called us to a mission, and what he's called you to, he will provide for you. And so, um, so I want to encourage you to, to follow through if God's speaking to you right now in that. Um, one thing I want to remind you is we turn to Philippians 3. It's where we'll be this morning, so go ahead and grab a Bible if you don't have one. Uh, there are black hardbacks around you and the seats around underneath the seats. Those are there for you. Be sure and grab one of those. Um, as you turn there, one last announcement. Um, ladies, this Wednesday night is the last women's ministry of the year. Um, I know that, uh, that, that some of you were asking this morning, are we doing it because it's in December? Absolutely. Uh, so this Wednesday night, 6 o'clock, women, uh, women's ministry, uh, along with our students, will be back Wednesday night, right? Wednesday, students' ministry this Wednesday night. Uh, so a lot going on. And, uh, and now we're in Philippians 3. If you're new here, you're visiting with us, um, we are working through a series this year entitled Letters to the Church. We're moving through these beautiful letters written by the Apostle Paul to the first century church, which have now become books in our New Testament. And we're reading them, allowing God to speak to us and refine who we are and our identity as a church and who we are individually in Christ. And so we've made it to Philippians 3. So we're going to pick up the first part of Philippians 3 today. We'll take a break for Christmas services next Sunday, come back on the last Sunday of the year, and we'll finish up Philippians 3, and then we'll park it, and we'll get ready to start next year with a series entitled Unity of Faith, where we'll walk through the essential, uh, non-negotiable core doctrines of our faith, uh, what the Bible lands on firmly, uh, and, and what determines what we believe and how we see God. We're going to move through that the first three months of the year. I'm excited about that. And I would say this to you, especially if you're not a Christian and you're just here kicking the tires on, on religion, come be a part of that series with an open heart and, and come hear what God says about himself and, and his nature and his mission here on earth and who we are. And, uh, and I think you will, uh, you, you'll be enlightened to a, a deeper understanding of, of why we're so passionate about this God and his mercy and his grace in our lives. 
Um, so Philippians 3 is where we've made it. The, the subtitle for this series is A Reason to Rejoice. That's not just a seasonal thing. We didn't just pull that off of a Christmas card. Um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, as he writes uh, from prison to this church in Philippi, um, over and over again keeps blowing up these reasons that we have in Christ to rejoice. And so what we're learning, first and foremost, he's writing these things from prison. So just a baseline understanding, the joy we have as Christians, this reason to rejoice, it isn't founded in our circumstances, right? It's not contingent upon how well the weather goes today or how well my, my plans unfold today or if I get everything I want for Christmas. It's a joy that's rooted in something deeper than that. It's a joy that's rooted in something that is so deep that the world can't touch it. These beautiful reasons we have to rejoice in the mercy of Christ, this common love we share, this community he's given us. And so we've been walking through these things together. Well, something interesting is going to happen in chapter 3. Right off the bat, Paul's going to say, hey, I'm going to say some of these same things to you. Okay? So start in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. This is his final push to explain to us and call us to our reasons to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. So we'll come back to that in just a minute, but we should expect then to hear some things from Paul that we've already heard before, okay? And really what he's going to do is take what he's taught us theologically and, and tell you how that's played out in his own life and his own walk and journey in pursuit of the Lord, okay? But one of the topics that's going to come up today in your sermon title today is rejoicing in your eternal security. And so we're going to talk for just a minute about what it means to be secure to begin with. Okay, let's talk relationally. I think there's something we all relate to. Uh, insecurity in relationship, right? Uh, you, you learn this before you finish junior high, that there is a lot of insecurity to be had in relationships. Friendships that meant the world to you this year or this today are all of a sudden gone three days later. Some little thing happens, some little drama explodes, and somebody who called you their BFF on Friday is now your worst enemy on Monday, and you've got the social media to prove it, right? Uh, how about dating relationships? Hopefully, Brian teaches you the truth about your junior high and high school relationships. 99.9% .9 of them aren't going to last. There's not. Have fun, be safe, glorify God, but, but don't find your identity in these relationships that are here today, and then all of a sudden, they're gone tomorrow. Right, And so we learn this about human nature in our horizontal relationships that just with a hiccup, people can change their mind. And so insecurity is something we're all familiar with on some level, right? On an even deeper level, some of you have been hurt in marriage. Um, you've, uh, you've, you've maybe lived 5, 10, 15, 20 years with somebody and then found out uh, that it was all a lie or that they had, quit, um, they had quit pursuing you 10 or 15 years ago or 5 years ago or 2 years ago because they started pursuing somebody else and and, and right, so insecurities are all around us, and we're always skeptical, right, in our horizontal relationships. But Paul's going to call us to a security in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. But not only relationally, positionally. This is something I think many of you know a great deal about in terms of insecurity. Been called into the boss's office only to be told, hey, your job ends today, or your job ends next week, or we're doing some cutting back, or. Right? And what you were secure in at one point, you thought you had value, you thought you were needed, and you had a position, and then the next day, what? It's gone. And so I think that when it comes to our, our approach to our security relationally and positionally, we understand what it means to be insecure, but Paul is calling us to a deep level of security when it comes to our position and relationship with the God of the universe. Now, there tend to be two camps on this idea of security, so we'll just we'll talk about it. 
Uh, there is a camp of folks, um, Christians, who read the Bible and read about God's security for us and how he has sealed us and, and saved us and he holds us in the palm of his hand and, he, and he, he's sovereign over all this. And, and so there's a lot of security. And so this camp is called um, Once Saved, Always Saved. Folks who believe truly in, I have accepted Christ, therefore I am in Christ eternally. Nothing can change that. Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. There's another camp of folks who read verses that talk about standing firm to the end and and holding tight to Jesus and pursuing godliness and holiness and and, and a life that is pleasing to the Lord. And and in this camp, they would believe that you can come in and out of your salvation when you're doing well. God's pleased with you. You're in. However, when you're not, you're out. And so the word backsliding comes up a lot. And and so people are in and out of the faith. Now, we're going to deal with that as we move through this passage. Um, Our intent is not to spark a theological debate, but to truly um, ask, God, where do you want us to find our security? If it's in working, let us know, right? If it's in impressing you and showing you how good we can be, let us know that so that we can work hard at it, right? But if it's found somewhere else, let us know that too. And so Paul, as he begins, he lets us know. He's going to make this final push for our reasons to rejoice, reasons that aren't rooted in circumstances, and he's going to say some things to us that he's already said before. And he says, now this is no trouble for me, and it's safe for you. Why is it safe for us to hear these biblical gospel truths again. Let's just, let me just be honest. I mean, we're, we're prone to forget them, right? We're prone to wonder. We're prone to, to rest in the love of Christ today and wake up tomorrow and forget it or to question it. But there's another reason why it's safe for us to hear these gospel truths again and again. It's because the world hasn't quit preaching, right? The message of the world that says, Who you are is rooted in how well you perform, how much you achieve, right? Your reputation in your community, the friends you have, the house you live in, the neighborhood you live in, right? They don't quit preaching that sermon. So Paul isn't going to quit preaching against it. And he says, this is going to be to your good to hear the same things again. So the first thing he does is he he issues a warning. And uh, Paul and, and, and... as Paul always does, speaks very candidly and honestly. First thing he says is, watch out. Look out for the dogs, okay? Uh, he's not talking about animals. He's talking about people, okay? This was an idiom in this culture. A lot like um, how we say, oh, you smell like a wet dog or you're filthy as a dog. It was a Jewish expression to describe the Gentiles and their uncleanliness. And so they would call them dogs, And so now he's flipping that on them, talking about the very people who use that term. And he says, you watch out for the dogs. I'll tell you who the dogs are. You watch out for the dogs. These evildoers. Look out for the evildoers. Not just people who make mistakes or people who occasionally do what's wrong, but people who are truly evil. And they do evil. And then he tells us who these people are. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Okay? Very candidly, he's talking about circumcision. This has come up in Galatians. It's come up again now in Philippians. It's a big deal in Acts. A matter of fact, the first Jerusalem council, church leaders convening to make theological statements and decisions, was centered around this particular issue. So what was happening is this. Um, As the gospel spread, Gentiles were becoming believers. The grace of God was transforming lives. Jewish folks were hearing the gospel and being transformed as well. But what was happening is this. Some of the Jewish religious system was uh, was being sucked into Christianity. So you got this modified gospel that said, one, if you want to be forgiven of your sins, believe in Jesus. Your sins will be forgiven. Oh, and you need to conform yourself on the outside. 
And so for them, they pulled this circumcision outer marking from the Old Testament, the very mark that signified the people of God in the Old Testament, pulled it into the gospel and said it's both. It's faith and circumcision. And so this is what Paul's referring to, to these mutilators of the flesh. Now, we've got all kinds of modern-day versions of this in our church culture today. This temptation and pressure to conform. But even before we get to church, let's just talk about culture in general. I'm looking at the RISE students because they're experts on this right now. Because they're walking the halls of high schools and junior highs, right, every day under this enormous pressure to conform, right? To wear the right shoes, to have the right hair color for the right season, the right body shape, the right skin tone, the right friends, the right car, to come from the right neighborhood. Even church youth groups can be a trendy thing. Right? The pressure, which one you go to? Oh, you go to that one. Well, God doesn't really move as much over there. So he's moving a lot over here. You know how we know? Because all the cool people come to church here. I know. I used to be in youth ministry. I know, I, I know how it works. And even, even youth ministry can be a trendy pressure kind of thing. It's, and, and, and here's the irony of it. We feel this pressure from things that are so temporary. So temporary. Right? Like, here's what's going to happen. I'm just telling you up front. About... 30 years from now, you're going to look back at your high school annual, and you're going to laugh at the things you wore and the way you did your hair. Right? Right? There's going to be a day we look back on 2014, and we go, yoga pants? Really? For grocery shopping? Come on. But, but they're cool right now. They're in everywhere you go. And, right? And so if we learn anything from experiencing life, we learn that we feel this pressure, this enormous pressure to conform and fit in into this moving target of things that is constantly changing, right? What's cool today won't be cool tomorrow. I'll never forget. I, I grew up in a fairly uh, financially modest home, at times poor, uh, single mom, two kids, and so at times really struggled. And I'll never forget, you know, now looking back, I put tons of pressure on my mom. I got to have these shoes, and I would cry. I would even pray at night. God, I need these shoes. Why? Because I felt this pressure to fit in. You know, the reality is I never got the shoes until they went on sale, and you already know what's wrong with that, right? By the time, like, they're not cool anymore. And so I would show up with my uh, Vision Streetwear, and they'd be like, oh, Vision Streetwear's out. Vans are in. Oh. So go back to mom. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Some of you do, right? Uh, yeah, so uh, we'll just leave it there. I won't mention anything about Jabot or Z Caparici or lace-up ropers, Rockies. Mm-hmm. Come on. Tight roll jeans are now back in, evidently. They call them skinny jeans. Back then, we just rolled up our Levi's. And yeah, anyway, all that to say this. It's kind of, kind of ironic, isn't it? That we feel all this weight and pressure. And then as soon as we try to get in and conform to whatever that is, it's changed. You know, crud, now what do I got to do? I got I to find some new clothes. I got to find new friends. All right. So Paul is calling this out on a religious level now. Not just socially, who my friends are in high school. He's talking about our very identity in the kingdom of God. He's talking about a more important relationship than my earthly relationships. He's talking about my vertical relationship with God and my vertical position in God's kingdom. And he's saying this, that these religious leaders are calling you to conform on the outside to this image. They're dogs. They're mutilators of the flesh. Verse 3. We are the circumcision. Now, what he's saying is, symbolically, is this. We are the people of God. And then he goes in to explain our markings. Look at what he says. The first thing is this. We are marked by those who worship by the Spirit of God. 
You guys worship like crazy this morning. So awesome singing and worshiping Jesus with you this morning. Worshiping in the spirit of God. That's one of our outward marks. Not what clothes you wore, right? Not whether or not you had your Rise t-shirt on, even though they're pretty cool. But you're marked by your worship in the spirit of God. The second thing he says, says is this. Your glory in Christ Jesus. This is what Jason Lewis was talking about earlier. Not just singing about the glory of Christ Jesus, but living for the glory of Christ Jesus. That marks us. That says something about where our joy is found and where our values are rooted. And the last thing he says this, and we're also marked by those who put no confidence in the flesh. What does he mean? He's going to explain to us what he means, but in short, he's saying this. The things you can accomplish with your own strength, on your own effort, by your own diligence. Put no confidence in those things if you're in Christ. That'll be one of your marks. All right. So now he's going he's to walk into basically his resume in a summary. It's pretty impressive, too, if you kind of understand what's happening here. So just to understand, Paul was born a Hebrew, a Jew, okay? And there was a system of working your way to the top and becoming the best of the best to get into the in crowd. So the Pharisees were one of the elite groups, okay, among this culture. They were the popular kids. And not only does Paul work his way into that crowd, he works his way to the top of that crowd. So he's like... He's really worked the system. Look at what he says, verse 4. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Let me just share with you. So he goes into his resume. I was not only circumcised, which is the big topic, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's the right day. That's how I started my life. When I was eight days old, that's when I started and I was marked for God. Not only that, I was of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. He's saying, I I came from the people of God. I didn't have to beg my way in, right? I'm not like a, a stepchild in God's kingdom. I was born into this kingdom of God. I have Abraham's blood running through my veins. You want to brag about something? I'm related to him. He goes on to say this, not only was I a Hebrew, but I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. That's like saying I'm an American among Americans. I'm just an American. I'm an American among Americans. Like I got red, white, and blue pillowcases and socks and pajamas and 12 flags out front. I am an American among Americans. He's saying that about his own nationality. I'm a Hebrew among Hebrews. Very patriotic, committed. As to the law, Pharisee. This is the in crowd. I wasn't just an obeyer of the law. I obeyed the the law so well that the in crowd invited me to be part of their club. Like, it was a big deal to become a Pharisee. I mean, you need to look good on the outside. Good. Like, you need to have it dressed up. Moral perfection, as we'll see here. So, as to the law, the law of God, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, my excitement for God, I was a persecutor of the church. Which, okay, sounds kind of strange. But what he's saying is this. I was so faithful to the culture, the Hebrew culture, that when they said, go stamp out the church, I was the first one in line to say, I'll do it. That's how excited I was to please God with my life. I was the one there on the front lines, dragging men and women out of their homes who said they were Christians, walking them to the edge of town, throwing them down, grabbing rocks, and killing them. That's how excited I was to please God. When I used to think that that's what pleased God. I don't think that anymore, but when I used to think that, I would do anything to make God happy. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, pristine, blameless. Come follow me around. 
Come follow me around. Unless you can get in my conscience, you're not going to find one evil thing. That's how perfect I was morally. Right? So that's his resume. He's saying, if I had, if, if anybody had a reason to stand before a holy God, right, and, and, and to have some sense of, I deserve to be here, Paul's saying, I was that man. But that's not what marks those who are in Christ. What marks us is we put no confidence in the flesh. None. Now, hear me on this, okay? Uh, hear me on this. So uh, one of the tendencies for those who land um, in the uh, once saved, always saved crowd, one of the tendencies is a sense of pride and narcissism that says, well, since I can't become unsaved, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. I mean, right? Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, so pursuing holiness doesn't matter. It's going to do. And so complacency, a, a sense of contempt for the cross sets in, okay? And so in no way is Paul calling us to be lazy in any regards, in our culture or in the kingdom. Matter of fact, I mean, Paul was a go-getter among go-getters, right? He's just not laying it out for himself anymore. He used to go hard, go long, all day, all night. For what? For his own recognition. And we're going to find out in a minute he doesn't do that anymore. He still goes hard, though. All day, all night, laying it all on the line. So, like, like having ambition is not a bad thing. Just don't find your identity in that. You want to start a business? Go start a business. You want to invent something? Go invent something. You want to cure a disease? Go cure a disease. Don't find your identity in that, though. Don't trust in what you can do for yourself because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You, you, you can build a ladder of success that reaches the peak of this building and you still will be infinitely, infinitely short of where you need to be to impress God. You could be the most moral person among us and God is no more impressed with your morality than he is with the most immoral person among us. From our perspective, we, we see these ladders, right? This person, oh man, he's a really good person, right? He's really good, so we elevate him in our mind. And God says, you're standing at the bottom of a cliff that you couldn't climb with a million ladders. There's no way to earn your way to the top of this thing. Go hard, work hard, go long, pursue holiness. Don't find your security in those things. I would say this, those of us who believe in a security that's rooted in Christ and Christ alone, we should be the most motivated people on the face of the earth. Not because we're trying to earn security, but because we already have it. Understanding this beautiful, keeping nature of God, that he could keep a fool like me on track, should overwhelm my heart every moment of every day. Right? Laziness and complacency should be the furthest thing from my mind. Now, if you're, uh, if you're taking notes with us this morning, this is a really important part of where we're going. We rejoice in the Lord, because that's what Paul called us to do, first of all, because our position in heaven isn't based on what we accomplish on earth. It's not. That is a lie from our culture. The culture will tell you, your value is based on what you accomplish here on earth. It's not true. Our position in heaven as sons and daughters of the Most High God is not based on, it's not contingent upon your performance here on earth. It's not. Now, here's, the, here's maybe an irony, I think, about human nature. 
I've had very few conversations with people about what really matters in life to where I don't think I've met maybe a handful of people ever. I don't know if I've ever met anybody who would say, I don't, I don't want to live for what's eternal or what matters, right? It's in human nature to want to make a difference, right? To want to do things that matter. Most everybody I sit down with and talk about, like, what do you want to do with your life? I want to do something that matters, okay? The irony in that is while we say that in one hand, we typically spend all of our resources and energy living for what doesn't matter, right? Working hard in this moment, in this, this day. And I'll just give you an example of how the same thing can shift either way. Um, working out. So if you're a person who enjoys working out, um, that can have eternal benefit. What? Here's what I mean by that. I'm a dad, okay, and I'm trying to get in shape. My main motive, though I'm tempted for other reasons, is this. I want to be around to spend time with my boys. I want to be able to do physical activities and spend time with my boys. I want to drag them out into nature. I want to drag them out camping. I want to go with them and play football. I want to be able, and this past summer I found myself short of breath, uh, just trying to make it up the front yard. And so I was like, I, you know, I want to be around. I want to be around for my grandchildren as well. Should God bless me with those. So, so I have this desire, a truly um, eternal desire that motivates me to be, want to be healthy. Nothing wrong with that. Eat good, take care of your health. However, we all know how quickly that can shift to an identity problem, right? And where we're, we're, just, we're just trying to maintain this physical appearance and that people would like me and, and all of a sudden we're finding all this momentary satisfaction. And what happens if we quit working out? Same thing happens to me if I quit tanning. 32 seconds later, I'm white again, right? And I'm out of shape again, and, and, right? And so the same thing, right? Could one have some sense of eternal impact, spending time with the people and being healthy? On the, how about you going to the Philippines? If you go to the Philippines, I'm going to encourage you, hit a treadmill before you go. It's okay if you don't, you'll make it, but you'll enjoy it more if, you, if you've gotten, some, you know, you've gotten the ability to maybe run a quarter mile or so. You'll, you'll do better, right? You could have some eternal benefit into going on this mission trip. However, don't find your security and your identity in what people think about you and your physical form to the extent that you have to go show it off everywhere you go. So everybody know I work out. I mean, like, you know, mm, let me get that for you. Oh, let me flex and show you what I've got. I know, I do it too. My wife and I got in a flexing contest last night. True story. <laughs> True story. Woo, too much of... It was, uh, it was all good fun. So anyway, verse 7. Now all of a sudden there's been this dramatic shift in value with Paul, and the only difference is now that he knows Christ. What used to matter to him doesn't matter anymore. What used to not matter does all of a sudden. Look at what he says. Uh, Philippians 3, verse 7. But whatever gain I had, remember his resume? Whatever gain I got out of that, whether it was just self-esteem or prestige or more friends, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So before Paul became a Christian, he had a win column and a loss column. And everything that he had in the win column, right, has now switched places with everything that was in the loss column. And the loss column was don't be a Christian or we'll kill you right? What was in the wind column? Be perfectly moral. Now he's saying that's completely flipped. Whatever used to be to my gain is now to my loss. Whatever used to be to my loss has now become my gain. Here's what he says. Verse eight, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of, let me ask you, knowing about Christ? No, knowing Christ, knowing Christ. 
I'm going to say it one more time. Knowing him. Personally, intimately, knowing him. Knowing about Christ? No. doesn't have much value. can be part of the journey to get to know him personally, but if that's all you have is a knowledge about him, this won't make sense to you. It won't. It's not, it doesn't make sense to throw away your resume to chase after knowing about him, but Paul's not talking about knowing about him. He's talking about knowing him. Whatever was to my gain has now become my loss because, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things that used to matter to me and count them as rubbish, sewer, dung, poop. This is a biblical word. It's theological. Everything that used to be in my wind column basically is in the same column as, as, my, as my sewage. That's, how, that's, what it, that's what it means to me now. My value system has switched. It's rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In order that I might gain Christ. Now, I think um, even for those of us who are Christians, we still struggle with value system and this idea of placing value on what is eternal versus what is not eternal. I see it within the church. I see it in my own life. Finding value in momentary fleeting things. Um, there's a song that um, Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote. If you don't know who he is, um, just a singer-songwriter for the last three decades. Um, great musician, singer-songwriter. Um, he wrote a song called Hold On To Jesus. And he actually wrote it before his family walked through a really, really difficult situation where um, one of his older children actually backed out of the driveway over one of his younger adopted daughters. And, um, and so as you can imagine, walking through that experience, okay? Um, and so he wrote a song, though, um, uh, that I believe was part of his, he says was part of his journey through that um, as he um, all of a sudden was rocked to his core and, and not really knowing how to deal with the loss and God, would you mind you allow this to happen? And, and, and it, was an, it was somewhat an innocent experience and now the older child has to deal with this you know, his whole life. And, and there's a this song that's called Hold On To Jesus and, and there's this line in, in the song that I just love. It's this, it's I will hold loosely to things that are fleeting. I will hold loosely to things that are fleeting and I will hold on to Jesus for life. It's one thing to say that. It's another thing, right? It's another thing to hold something loosely. Even the people I love deeply, I'm to hold loosely. My boys, love them. Hold them loosely, though. My wife, love her. But I have to hold her loosely. Right? That I might what? Hold tightly to what matters. This is what Paul is saying. I used to run hard after the things of the world, and now I hold those things loosely that I might gain Christ. Jesus teaches us the same thing when he's talking with his disciples in Matthew 16, also in Luke 9. He says this, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his, you know it, his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
He goes on to say this, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, the whole stinking world, yet he forfeits his soul? I think one of the um, most heartbreaking things I hear being spoken to this generation is this, go, go conquer the world and go gain the world and think that that's gonna somehow give you security. You think that's true, go check uh, depression and suicide rates among those who have achieved those things, who've made their way to the top, who are wealthy, who are famous. Young ladies, um, those, those beautiful, iconic emblems in our culture of what you're supposed to be like if you wanna be happy, read an honest diary excerpt from one of these ladies as they share with you how miserable it is knowing that nobody's gonna love you if you put on two pounds and you no longer look that way anymore, right? And so while the world says you're gonna find your value and your security in these things, Paul said, don't you dare, don't you dare find your security in these things that are fleeting. And Jesus says it too. What does it matter if you gain the whole stinking world, but in exchange you give away your soul? See what he's saying? Latch on, hold on to what matters. What is eternal? We rejoice in the Lord because what we have in Jesus is better than anything we could ever possess on earth. Meet a Christian who doesn't believe that and you may not have met a Christian. Meet a Christian who's struggling with that and you may have met me. I believe it, though I struggle to live it out. But it's impossible to come in contact with this immeasurable grace from God and not believe this on some level, right? That what we have in Christ is better. It's why, if you're not a Christian here today and you wonder, why would people go to the Philippines? That's expensive? Yeah, it is expensive. You have to give up all your vacation? Yeah. You're going to go to Flint, Michigan on spring break? Spring break? Flint, Michigan? It's cold up there, right? Why would you do that? Uh, Rise retreat? 15, 16 adults went to make this happen for these young people. Why would you do that? The answer must be because what we found in Christ is better than what we would have done with our weekend, our spring break, the $1,850 it costs to go, right? Or else don't go. That's the point. It's the point Paul is getting at here. What I have found in Christ is better than anything I could ever possess on earth. This was a a conversation that Jesus had with what's known as the rich young ruler. Incredibly moral guy. He looked a lot like Paul. And, uh, and so Jesus, he talks, about, talks to Jesus about how he can get into kingdom, have a position in God's kingdom. And, and Jesus said, well, let's talk about the Ten Commandments. And he says what? Like Paul, I've been morally pristine. You can follow me around. You can have a hard time finding any laws I've broken. Do you remember what Jesus said to him? But there's one thing you lack. I need you to go home and sell all your junk, your rubbish, and give it to the poor. And then come follow me. And the Bible tells us that he went away sadly because why? He had much possession. Right? So that's what the world tells you to go after. Somehow that's going to fulfill you and satisfy you and give you security. Really? How many people in this room, I wonder, have been at the top of their financial game only to turn a corner and hit bottom? Right? Your security, it can't be founded in that. So what is it founded in? Look at verse 9. So not only are we after gaining Christ, we want to be found in him. What do you mean by that, Paul? So he explains. Here's what he means by that. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, which means obeying the law. Okay? Paul just already said, I was pretty good at obeying the law. 
But what I've gained in Christ is better. It's a righteousness that isn't based on how well I obey the law. But instead, here's what it's based on. Here's what it means to be found in him. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on what? Faith. Not how hard you work, not how cool you look. Um, listen, we've, let's do this with this generation. Let's drop this whole idea of conformity to look like each other in Christ. Like, uh, so my wife and was looking at an imitation of something a few weeks ago. I hope it wasn't something here in Inviters somewhere. It may have been. But the description of what to wear, church clothes. What is that? It's funny because Hallie's like, what church do you think they're talking about? But you get what I'm talking about, right? Like, what are church clothes? You come to Solid Rock, and we've got an elder who 50 Sundays out of 52 wears shorts. Like, what do you mean by church clothes? Well, it, this is what we mean by it. There was a time, right, where it seemed to matter, right? And, and you've probably experienced that. Didn't want to go because you didn't have the right clothes or weren't sure if you were going to fit in. And let's, let's quit with that mess. It's not the gospel, what marks those who are in Christ is worship rooted in the spirit of God, right? What matters are, are people who live externally for the glory of God and those who don't put any confidence in the flesh, what we can accomplish. Go hard. Don't put your security in it. Work hard. Achieve much. Go to college. Make good grades. Go to medical school. Become doctors. Cure diseases. Don't put your security in those things because what you have in Christ is better. We rejoice in the Lord because our identity is based on what Jesus has done on our behalf. You know what Christmas is? It's the beginning of the narrative of God rescuing us. God puts on human form, human flesh, comes to earth and is born as a baby. Okay, That's the beginning of the mission. You know what his mission is? It's not just about the cross. From day one, his mission is to live perfectly among us. You know what Jesus is doing as he lives perfectly among us? Let's think of some examples. The woman caught in adultery. Pharisees bring her. She was caught in adultery. Law of Moses says a stoner. What do you want to do? Jesus said, you who has no sin, throw the first stone. We look at that and we go, oh, that was awesome. Moment by moment, event by event, feeding 5,000, extending mercy and compassion, all the while perfectly living in obedience to the Heavenly Father. You know what Jesus was doing? He was earning God's favor for us. He was doing what you can't do for yourself. He was performing on our behalf the whole time so that when he goes to the cross, he does so blamelessly. No sin founded in him. And think about that. He wasn't just a good moral person. He was holy and perfect and righteous and blameless before a holy God. And then God takes our sins, the rubbish of our life, and pours it out on Jesus. That's the pain, the agony, the torture of the cross. Is the rubbish from our lives being poured out on God's perfect, holy son. We rejoice. We should. We rejoice in that. My identity, who I am in God's kingdom, is not founded on anything except for what Jesus has done on my behalf. What is your answer when you get to heaven? Why should I let you in? I've been good. I obeyed my parents. I wasn't as bad as my brother or sister. I mean, don't bank on those things. Your answer must be, 
The only reason I deserve to be here is because Jesus earned my way in. That's it. That's all I got, God. If that's not good enough, I don't get in. It's my only boast. My identity is rooted and based on what Jesus has done. Last two verses, verse 10 and 11, that I may know him, comes up again, right? It's not just knowing about him, it's knowing him personally, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What is Paul saying? I gave up everything temporal for what is eternal. Everything, every bit of it. Just a few weeks ago, Paul said what? Live as Christ, to die as gain. What is he saying? If I die, I get to go be with Jesus. I'm, all, I'm in. However, if God delivers me from prison and I keep on living, I'm just going to keep pouring it out. I'm going to keep pouring it out, laying it on the line, leaving everything on the stage, every bit of it, pouring myself out. Why? Because I've got my eyes set on what's eternal. What's happening today in this moment doesn't matter. I'm sitting here in shackles in prison. I may get the death sentence tomorrow. It's okay. I'm rejoicing. I have my eyes fixed on what is eternal, not on this moment and not what is around me in this momentary life. We rejoice in the Lord because our eternity is secured in Jesus. It is. So how does this work then, right? So over and over again, we're getting this this understanding from God's word that we're to be secured in our salvation. The Holy Spirit seals us, right? We're in God's hand. He's predestined us and we're we're secure, we're safe, and, and yet we get these Also, we get these commands from Scripture to hold firm to the end, right? Hold tightly to Jesus. Hold tightly to the word that I taught you. And we know that. Then we have an activity, a participation then in staying linked to Jesus, staying firm and rooted in the faith. So how does this work? I'm going to do my best to give you an illustration of how this works in my heart, and I believe the word of God teaches, and it may be a faulty illustration, but we'll try it anyway. So um, teaching my boys to swim. Um, Got one there. The other one, he's scared of heights. He's scared of, of really anything. Um, it's just weird. Um, but, uh, so we're this last summer teaching him to jump off the diving board and kind of tread water to me, freaked out, didn't want to do it. Um, however, um, as he got more confident in that, he would kind of come in and out of that confidence. And so sometimes he would, you know, he would always say, I've got this. I got, you know, I'd say, I'd swim out there in front of the diving board. I'm treading water. Okay, ready? No, 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 go away, go away. I would kind of go away, right? Because why? Because I know he's about to need me. And so I would just move a little bit out of the way and, okay, you got it. You, you can handle this. And he would jump. But as soon as he hits the water, where are his eyes? Where's daddy? And he's just like, like a six-week-old puppy trying to swim, just slopping water around. And then I scoop him up. And he's like, I did it. And I'm like, yeah, you, you kind of, you did. Good job. You did it. Oh, so good. And I'd, put him, I'd let him swim to the side. He's swimming. He's handling it. He gets up. He goes and he does it again. Teaching him how to swim, in and out of confidence. Sometimes he's scared. Daddy, I need you. Other times what? I got this. Okay, that's his perspective, isn't it? That's his perspective. What's my perspective? You don't got this. I'm not going anywhere. You'll never be on my grasp, right? I'm not going to just sit and watch you drown until you give me the sign. Right? Every time I'm grabbing you and pulling you to the side. That's, 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 my, that's my love for him. I'm not going to let him drown. I'll let him think that he's doing it on his own, right? It's this idea that, that my sons, I love when they come hold tight to me. But you know what? Sometimes when I hold them tight, they don't hold me back. It's okay. They're still mine, right? As fast as they think they are, they still can't get outside my grasp. Snatch them up. 
See, this is our security in Christ. There are times where we look to God and as if we have no other hope. I need you. I'm sinking. I'm scared to death. I can't jump off this. I can't make this decision. I don't know what to do anymore. I'm sinking. God, save me. And we reach out in desperation, and the Father grabs us. Guess what? All the other times when you think you've got it on your own, remember there's a Father's perspective. Okay. All right. Right? Knowing what? You'll never be on his reach. Why? Because you're his. And God doesn't let his children drown. So, our working at our salvation, our striving to stand firm to the end, is like when my boys can put their arms around me. It doesn't change our relationship, what? It just reveals that it's there. But my perspective is what? You think you're coming in and out of this thing, but I'm not going anywhere. Now, that should, that should fire us up for the kingdom, right? That should, our hearts should be leaping right now in that truth that's God's perspective for you. Your marriage, struggling right now, right? God's perspective, what? I've, I've got this. We're drowning here, God. I know you feel like you're drowning. I do, I know you feel that way. Just reach out to me, I've got you. Quit treading water, quit slopping water at each other, right? <laughs> like two puppies wrestling in the pool. Quit it, come here, come here. You're mine. We're gonna go ahead and, and land it here. And I'm going to pray for us. And, and really, my, my primary prayer for you this morning is for anybody here who doesn't know Jesus personally. That's what Paul's saying. If you don't know him personally, you're still working with rubbish. You're still trying to make sense out of life, find value in life out of what is fleeting. And you may know a lot about God. You may know nothing about God. But today, the invitation is to come and to know him personally. Um, in just a minute, when I pray, after I get done praying, our worship team will be back up. We'll have men and women at the front and the back, uh, prayer partners who have lanyards on. They would, um, would love nothing more than to just hear your heart and to talk with you more about becoming a Christian, what it means to know Jesus personally. They're going to be here for you. You're welcome to come down and pray at the front or go to one of our prayer and counseling rooms. Um, seek out one of our elders. We'd be honored to pray over you and pray for you. Um, but I'm going to pray now um, that God would move among us. Um, he would reveal to us uh, what matters, and then he would call us to that. And let's pray together as we get ready to respond.